Good morning, River of Life. I am not Henry Jones. Um, for those of you that are visiting, uh, he's much better looking, much older than I am. Um, but he's not, he's not feeling that well this morning, so if you will, keep our pastor in your, in your prayers, and uh, I'm sure he'll be back uh, next, uh, next Sunday with us. Um, he asked me last week to, to speak this morning, and the message I'm going to talk about has been something that's been on my mind for um, several weeks. But before I get to it, I want you to, if you will, with me, I want you to go back in time uh, here in Walcott County about, let's go back about 150 years. The year would be 1872. And I want you to imagine for a moment what would church have been like in 1872, this morning I, I walked outside my house at about 9.45, and there's a little country church about a quarter mile down the road, and I heard the church bells going, and calling the, the community to church. But I want you to think for a moment, what would church have been like back then? In 1872, we know that there was communities uh, here in Walkala County. We know that there were churches here in Walkala County. Um, but most of those churches were very, very small country churches, and they could not afford uh, churches like that in, uh, if you weren't in the city. You really couldn't afford a full-time pastor. So most churches had, at that time, what were called itinerant preachers. And these were preachers that would actually go around and preach at different churches. So let's say on the first Sunday of the month, they might stop in this community and preach and have service in that church. The second Sunday of the month... They might be over here in, a, in another community, the third Sunday and the fourth Sunday, uh, so on and so on. So a lot of churches, you may have had church once a month, uh, maybe twice a month, um, maybe once a year you have a brush arbor service, uh, uh, like an old-fashioned tent meeting, revival. But the fact is that most people, if you lived in 1872, you could probably count on one hand the number of preachers and teachers that you would hear in your entire lifetime. I mean, just think about it. There's no TV, there's no cars, there's no airlines to fly around to different places. There's no, uh, there, there's no radio, uh, there's, no, there's certainly no internet. Now, I want you to fast forward to today and think about how different it is. Most of us could hear five preachers in a day if we wanted to, right? Um, just about every person now that wants to preach or teach, that wants a pulpit, can find it. It's a digital pulpit, right? They can, they, can, they can make a podcast. Pretty much anybody can do that. Anybody can start a Facebook page. Anybody can have a YouTube channel if they want to. Anybody that wants to preach and teach the Word of God can pretty much get it out there to you. Now, my question this morning isn't, are you listening to false teachers? That's not my question. You most certainly are. There's no doubt in my mind. I am. There's not a day goes by you don't turn on TV, somebody's preaching you a false message. You listen to people on the radio that you don't even know. You, how many? I can almost guarantee that somebody here this past week, somebody sent you a, a link to a Facebook page. Go listen to this guy. And you don't know him from, from Adam. Or maybe you're surfing through your YouTube channels and you see something that looks interesting and you click on that. And you go listen to, to that person. See, the question isn't, are we listening or are we hearing false teachers? The question is, can you tell when you are? 
That's the question. You're, you're certainly hearing it out. There's no, you can't get away from it nowadays. So the question is not, are you hearing it? The question is, can you discern it when you hear it? In fact, if, if someone were to say to me today, well, I'm not listening to false teachers, what that tells me, it's not that you're not hearing false teachers, it's that you don't even know that you're hearing false teachers, because they are certainly out there. This morning, I wanna, my message is how to recognize false teachers. How to recognize false teachers. Now, before I get going, I want to tell you something that I think will help you. We, we live in a, a culture today that wants to cancel everybody, don't we? Somebody does one thing wrong, you're done. You're out of here. We don't want anything else to do with you. Well, let me tell you, if, if, uh, if God canceled everybody that said something wrong, nobody would ever get up in the pulpit. Right? Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Not everybody who says something wrong is a false teacher. In the same vein, not everybody who says something right is a true teacher. Let me, let me look at both of those very quickly. How can I say that not everybody who says something wrong is a false teacher? Well, first of all, because anybody that fills a pulpit or anybody that teaches is a fallible human being. There's not a single one of us that's perfect. I can guarantee you, you ask any preacher or teacher who has taught and stood behind a pulpit that at times they've walked off that stage and there's something they wish they could take back. And, and that's true not only in the world, but it's true right here. Go ask uh, Pastor Henry or go ask Brother Bill or, or Brother Chuck. We all make mistakes. We all say things. And Man, I wish I hadn't, uh, hadn't uh, said that. On the other hand, it's perfectly okay for true, two true teachers sometimes can disagree. This past Wednesday night, I was teaching on Romans 12.20. Romans 12.20 says this, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Now, that's a, that's a hard scripture, and, and it's hard to understand. What does that mean? Uh, it was something that was written, you know, a couple thousand years ago. So people can disagree. In fact, some people says, well, what that means is you're doing something good for them. You're actually providing fire for them, like right? There's people that actually say that, by the way. But I don't, I don't see that at all. It's, it's clear to me from Scripture that means wrath. It means judgment, right? But the, what I'm trying to point out here is that two true teachers, two people that love Jesus, two people that, that respect the authority of Scripture can come to Scripture sometimes and disagree. And that's okay. That doesn't make, they both can't be true, but it doesn't make one of them a false teacher. On the other hand, just because somebody says something right doesn't make them a true teacher. We got a saying here in the South, don't we? Even a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while, right? Even a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. Even false teachers can regurgitate something they've heard. They don't know it, they don't understand it, they don't believe it, but they can say right things in order to deceive. Now listen, I want to talk to you about false teaching this morning because I think it is one of the greatest dangers facing the church today. It's one of the greatest dangers facing the church. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1, he said this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. False teaching, that the whole goal of it is to lead people away from true faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of it. So it is incredibly dangerous, and we need to be uh, aware of it. Now, let's be honest before we start this. We all think we're great judges of character. 
I've never met a person that doesn't think they're great judges of character. Even people who are terrible judges of character still would think that I, I, can, I can spot a false teacher a mile away. But folks, you most likely won't. Jesus said, and we'll look at this scripture in just a few minutes, they are wolves in sheep's clothing, which means they look like sheep and they talk like sheep and they act like sheep and they smell like whatever sheep smell like. They, they, they look like sheep. You can't just look at them and say, oh, that's a, that's a false teacher. It says, but inside they are ravenous wolves. The apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us that they, the things that they do, they do in secret. The things that they do are deceptive. And he even tells us how they work. He says they use flattery. You know what flattery is? Flattery is they tell you things you already want to hear. You see, if there's things you want to hear and somebody tells it to you, it's, it's going to be very difficult for you to identify them as a false teacher because they're telling you things you already want to hear. That makes it very difficult to recognize them. So here's the question. In this modern age, it's not 1872 anymore. It's 2022. And we've got YouTube and we've got Twitter and we've got Instagram and we've got uh, uh, all of these Facebook and we've got all these podcasts and TV shows and radio and books just galore. False teachers are everywhere. How, how do we recognize them? I'm going to give you this morning four tests of a false teacher. Four tests of a false teacher. Now, I'm going to go through the first three pretty quickly because I want to get to the, to the fourth one. That's my favorite one. I want to get there pretty quickly. But I'm going to give you the, the first three. Now, la, the, there are none of them foolproof. I don't think there's a test out there that's necessarily foolproof. But the fourth one is about as close as we can possibly get. So here's the first one. The first one I call the doctrine test. The doctrine test. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. The first one is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But by this you will know the Spirit of God. Now here he's given you a test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Listen, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that Jesus would, would come and his name would be called Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Jesus himself, when talking to the Pharisees, said this, Before Abraham was, I am. Anybody that says, well, Jesus is a good man. Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is just this. Anybody that denies that he is God incarnate is a false teacher. That's just a false. That's a red flag that should go up immediately. Let me give you another one. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul uh, writing here, he says this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Notice what Paul says, anyone that does not agree with the sound words of Jesus Christ. I hear this sometimes. I see teachers out there and they'll say, well, you know, that, that Paul guy or, or, or that, you know, they, they, this, this didn't really exist. Let me give you an example. Nobody talked about hell more than Jesus. Nobody. You can go read the New Testament. He talked about hell more than Peter, James, and John, and Paul combined. He talked about it over. He said it's a place of punishment. He said it is eternal. 
But I hear Christian teachers all the time teaching in the name of Jesus that say hell's not a real place, that hell doesn't exist, it's not a place of punishment, or it's only a temporary place. All of those things go against the words of Jesus Christ. They are a false teacher. They're false teachers. They don't agree with Jesus Christ. So, and by the way, that's just a couple of things. There, there's other tests. But the idea is pe they should be teaching things that align or accord with Scripture. And if they're not, they are a false teacher. Let's move on to number two. I call this the authority test. I'm going to give you two scriptures, one by Paul and one from the Apostle John. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 14, 37 to 38. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. The Apostle John said this, we, talking about the apostles, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Anybody who is a true teacher must acknowledge the authority of the apostles. Now, why do I say that? Because I see teachers sometimes that will say, Well, Paul said this, but I'm just going to go by the words of Jesus. That's a, that's a flag that should go up immediately, Right? By the way, it's not that they're so in love with Jesus, they just want to get away from what Paul was actually saying. They want to go back to, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I hear this all the time. Well, Jesus never said, you know, you go to the New Testament, there's scripture after scripture against homosexuality. And you'll hear people say, well, Jesus never said anything against it. Now, I'm just going to go with Jesus. By the way, of course he did. Of course he did. I'll give you a couple of examples. Jesus, in, in talking to the Pharisees about marriage, said this. He quoted the book of Genesis. He said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus was affirming marriage between a man and a woman. And by the way, let's go a little bit further. In the beginning, God said, Let us make man in our image. Who is there at the beginning? It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Who's there on Mount Sinai giving the law? It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus is in the Old Testament giving those same laws that people said he never spoke anything about. You have to recognize not only the authority of Jesus, but the authority of the apostles. The third test, and I'm going to call this the gospel test. So we got the doctrine test, the authority test, and the gospel test. This is Paul in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. He said this, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. What is Paul talking about? Listen, folks, the gospel says we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let me say it again, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If anybody tries to add anything to that, if they say, well, you got to go, I believe that, but you got to go over here and you got to do this. You got to be baptized a certain way. You got to be wearing certain clothes. You got to, you got to talk a certain way. You got to have your hair a certain length. They start adding things on top of that. They are corrupting the gospel and that is not the gospel. Jesse, I was talking to him. Jesse, stand up and turn around so everybody can see and know who you are. All right. You can sit down now, Jesse. 
So Jesse and I were talking, and he had uh, two young Mormon men come to his house the other day. And Jesse invites them inside and talks with them, and, and I think they talked for a, for a while, and they were kind of going back and forth. And, and Jesse said, finally, he asked them a question. And by the way, I thought more about this is a very, very smart thing to do. I had often told Jesse that when you're talking to people about the gospel, they all want to talk around the edges. They none of them want to get to what it takes to be saved. Nobody wants to talk about that because that's where the rubber meets the road. So Jesse had done what he and I had talked about, and this is what he said to those two young Mormons. He said, he said, all right, tell me this. He said, if I collapse right now and I've got one minute to live, two minutes to live, tell me, tell me right now, how am I to be saved? And they said, well, you got to do this. And you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got. No, folks. You ask me that question, this is what I say. Romans 10 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God has saved you from the dead, you will be saved. That's easy. That's easy for a Christian to answer. But you see, those young men aren't Christians. Those young men aren't Christians, they have a false gospel. Therefore, they are false teachers from a false religion. Now, I want to say a couple things before moving on. Those young men may be sincere. They may be well-meaning. They may really believe what they believe. But folks, we don't evaluate people by how sincere they are. We don't evaluate them by how well of a speaker they are. We don't evaluate them by, uh, by, by, by how well-meaning or, or how nice they look or what a great personality they have. We evaluate them by their submission to this book. Does what they say line up with this book? If they don't, they're a false teacher. Now, listen. We have to evaluate them according to this book. Guess what that means? That means you better know this book. That means you've got to know this book. You've got to know what this book says. The other night, Kathy and I were watching a movie. It's supposed to be a Christian movie, and I, I, I turn it on, and it gets going, and boy, it was, it was good, and it, 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 you know, it was really tearing on my heartstrings and pulling at me, and then right in the middle, they dropped it, and I said, whoop, this goes off. See, they were telling me things I wanted to hear, but they were telling me things that didn't line up with this book. And I knew it immediately. You got to know the Word of God, which means, by the way, not only do we have to read the Word of God, that means that you have to submit yourself under teachers and preachers, true teachers and preachers of the Word of God that can help you learn and know that Word. And by the way, that brings us to test number four. Now, test number four is what I call the fruit test, okay? This comes from the Word of Jesus, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. This is what Jesus said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So Jesus gives us this great analogy. 
And he kind of compares false teachers to trees or fruit trees or, or, or bushes of some sort. And what he's saying is, in the same way that you can't get grapes from a thorn bush. A thorn bush is never going to produce grapes. In the same way, uh, a bad teacher is not going to ever produce good fruit. In fact, he, he says they'll produce no fruit or they'll produce diseased fruit. Now that's, and he says this is how you'll know them. Now the question is, okay, what is the fruit? What is it that we are supposed to be looking at? Well, let me say this. First of all, I think a good teacher and a good, a, a true prophet and a true preacher and a, to, a true teacher will always produce good doctrine. That is certainly one of the fruits that they will produce. I think that they will always be submit, in submission to the authority of the apostles in the New Testament. I think that's certainly a good fruit. And of course, a, a good teacher, a good prophet will always adhere to the true gospel. But I think Jesus is talking about something else. I think he's referring to here is their character or their everyday lives. In fact, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what does it say? Love, joy, goodness, patience, kindness, self-control. Those are all characteristics that come out of us, right? Well, wouldn't a, a false prophet or a diseased tree, if you will, produce the opposite of those things? A compromise in their character? See, I think Jesus is talking about look at their everyday lives because here's the thing. False teachers are not only false in their teaching, they're almost always going to be false in their living. Let me say it again. They're not just false in their teaching. They're false in their living. By the way, this is borne out by two other scriptures in the New Testament. I want to look first at the words of the Apostle Peter. Second Peter chapter 2, I won't read the whole chapter today, by the way, but if you get a chance when you go home, I would encourage you to read that chapter. The whole chapter is about false teachers. The entire chapter, Second Peter chapter 2, the whole thing is about false teachers. I'm going to read the first three verses. He said this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, th there is something really interesting in this chapter. If you go read it, Paul is, again, Peter's talking about false teachers, the whole chapter, but he talks very little about their doctrine. He says very little about their doctrine, but he says whole, a whole lot about their character and the way that they live. For example, one of the things he says is they deny the master who bought them. See, this is all about power. Listen, Jesus said he is the king of kings. All authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. If you deny his authority, what you're basically saying is, no, I run my own life. I do what I want to do. That's all about power. The second thing it says is many will follow their sensuality. Listen, that word in the New Testament always, almost always refers to sexual sin. They are sensual men. They are sensual people. They, 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 they engage in sexual sin. And the third one is they are greedy. Peter says in their greed they will exploit you. By the way, folks, if you don't recognize it, that is the fallen human trifecta right there. Money, power, and sex. 
money, power, and sex. You see, what false teachers have in common, they were, it was true in Peter's day, it's true today. What they share in common is not just that they're doctrinally wrong, but the inevitability that they will morally compromise their lives in at least one of those three areas, if not all three. Money, sex, and power. On the other side of the coin, the Apostle Paul puts a huge premium on a, the, the holiness and righteousness of a teacher or preacher's life, giving credibility to the gospel. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Then look what he says. You know what kind of men we prove to be. You know what kind of men we prove to be. Do you, do you know what the Apostle Paul would do? He would go into a community. And he would, he would go in there and start preaching. And just so they wouldn't think he was in it for the money, he would take no offerings. And, it, and, it, and what he would do is when he wasn't preaching, he would go make tents. That's what his profession was. He was a tent maker. And he would go on the side and earn his own money just so nobody could say, you're just doing this for the money. That's, how, that's what a man of integrity he was. Do you see the difference? On one side, false teachers... They're not, they're false teaching. They don't believe the gospel. They're not infilled with the spirit. They're still, they're still ruled by their fallen nature. It's going to come out in their lives. On the other hand, true teachers believe the gospel. They believe Jesus Christ. They're infilled by the spirit and their lives should show it. Now, I want you to listen to me very closely. Here's the problem that we have in 2022. How can you assess the lives of people you have never met? You got that favorite YouTube channel you go to, right? But you don't know that person from Adam. You got that, you got that podcast that you listen to that, that, boy, that guy, you just think he's, he's right on, but you don't know that, you, you know nothing about that person. How do you and I in this internet age assess the lives, the moral character, the everyday living of people that we only see for 30 minutes or hear for 30 minutes at a time on a podcast. How can we assess the fruit of people that we don't know? You ready for the answer? You can't. You can't. It is absolutely impossible. Now, here's this beautiful thing. 2,000 years ago, God designed a way for us to do exactly that, and it's called the local church. God designed this community, this local church, where living, breathing human beings are, are coming together and, and living together, and they've got elders, and they've got teachers, and they've got preachers, they've got shepherds over them, and they see them every day. They see their marriages, they see their families, they, they see their businesses, they, they, they know how they're living their lives. Pretty smart of God, isn't it? Pretty smart of Him to be able to design something like that. It turns out the greatest defense against false teaching is a local church that holds its leaders accountable. Let me say it again. The, the greatest defense against false teaching is a local church just like this that holds its leaders accountable. See, pastors and teachers should be with the people. I heard a guy say, shepherds should smell like sheep. 
Shepherds should smell like sheep because they're with the sheep every day. They're talking to the sheep and leading the sheep and, and acting like the sheep. And they should smell like sheep because they live and they walk among them every single day. They're not sequestered from the flock through some digital media. Which is why, ladies and gentlemen, you need to belong to a church. You need to belong to a church. A real, live, human being, flesh and blood, in-person church with teachers and preachers whose lives that you know. You see, this is what Jesus intended as a protection against ravenous wolves. I hear, I heard it this week, about a, young, a person that I know, a young lady, who says she's a Christian. She, she listens to the, the you know, teachers on podcasts. She listens to preachers on YouTube. But this person is not a member of any church. Now, to be honest, I don't even know what to say about that, to be quite honest with you. Some people asked me one time, can you be a Christian apart from the local church? I can't make that assessment. Let me ask you, can, you, can, can a turtle live outside his shell? Maybe, but I ain't never seen it. Have you? I, I, I don't know how a Christian lives outside the very thing that God has designed to guard them and guide them and protect them and watch over them. I, I don't know how that's even, re, even possible. All I know is every time I hear that, I, my mind always goes to these nature shows, right? And you got this herd of, of, of buffalo or this herd of wildebeest. And here comes the wolves. And which ones do they go for? Do they go to the crowd? No, they always go for the loner, don't they? They always find the one that's out by themselves. And that's the one that they take and, and can't do anything about it because he doesn't have the protection. So you asked me the question, can someone be a Christian outside the confines of the local church? I can't answer that. What I can tell you is they are ignoring the very protection that God has provided from them from the ravenous wolves. They're ignoring the very protection that God has provided for them from the ravenous wolves. One more scripture, Matthew 24, 24. Jesus said this. This is an incredible saying. I want you to listen to this. He said this, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now think about that. God, Jesus said there's coming a time when false teachers and false prophets and false Christ will arise. They're not real. But yet they're going to be able to do signs and wonders. They're going to be able to raise the dead. They're, they're going to be able to open the blind eye. And he says, they, if it were possible, by the way, it's not. It's not possible to lead away the chosen, the elect. But he says, if it were possible, even the elect would be fooled by those signs and wonders. So here's my question. How is it the elect are not fooled? How is it that the real Christians are not fooled by men just because they're, they're, they're performing signs and wonders? I can tell you how, because you don't know that, man. Number one, I don't care what kind of signs and wonders that person is doing. They're not adhering to the doctrine of Scripture. Number two, I don't care what kind of signs and wonders they're doing if they're not submitting themselves to the authority of Jesus and Scripture and the apostles. Number three, I don't care what kind of signs and wonders they're doing if they're preaching a gospel other than the one that was delivered to us 
we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And number four, I don't care what kind of signs and wonders you're doing if the moral character of your life doesn't line up with your message. You see, it doesn't matter if they're opening blind eyes. It doesn't matter if they're lengthening legs. It doesn't matter if they're raising the dead, if they're failing the test after test after test after test of what it means to be a true teacher. You don't know those men. They don't smell like sheep. There's something wrong, and you should know that when you hear it. The greatest defense, and I want to say it one more time, against false teaching is a local church that knows, enjoys, and lives the Word of God and holds its teachers and its preachers accountable. That is the greatest defense against false teachers. Now, I want to close with one final thought. We can have our systems of accountability in this body. And by the way, we should. Everybody with me? We absolutely should. We can do our best to watch the everyday lives of those in authority over us. And by the way, you should. That's exactly what you should do. But in the end, every single one of us are just fallible human beings. See, if we're not careful, we'll tend to let things slide because, well, you know, he's a nice guy. We, we let things slide because, well, you know, you see, we're, we're fallible. So the fact is that we do our very best, but in the end, we cannot really rely on ourselves. This is why 2 Peter 2, and again, I would, I would encourage everybody to read this when you go home. It's why it's so important. In this chapter, Peter is teaching, and he, and he talks about these false teachers that are coming. And then he goes to the example of Noah. Now, think, I want you to think about Noah. Here's Noah, and he is surrounded by lies, is he not? He's surrounded by false teachers. Everything he's hearing is false. And yet, Peter says, God rescued Noah. And then he uses the example of Lot in Sodom. Here's Lot. He's the, he's the only, him and his family, the only righteous people in the whole city, surrounded by uh, uh, immorality, surrounded by lies, surrounded by false teaching. And yet in 2 Peter 2, it says, God rescued Lot. 2 Peter 2, 9, uh, he says this. He says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Listen to me. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I'm feeling more and more the minority in this world. If you're really paying attention to what's going on, you're feeling more and more a minority. But let me tell you, no matter how twisted the teaching that's going on out here, and by the way, I, I pay attention because I think it's my job to, but there is some absolutely twisted things being taught under the name of Jesus Christ out there right now. Absolutely twisted things. People getting in pulpits that it, it's, it's horrific. But no matter how twisted the teaching... How, no matter how publicly shamed we are as Christians when another leader falls and, and the name of God is blasphemed because of them, no matter how many times that happens, no matter how dark the days become, no matter how small a minority the church becomes, no matter how fragile we feel, no matter how under attack 
we feel. Jesus knows how to rescue the godly. Jesus knows how to rescue. Nobody was more of a minority than Noah. Nobody was more of a minority than Lot, and God took care of them. doesn't matter what, what kind of a minority we become. doesn't matter if the whole world rages against us. Jesus knows how to rescue the godly. God preserved Noah. God preserved Lot. And listen, he will preserve us from false teaching and false living of false teachers. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word as we always do. Never ceases to amaze me how relevant the word of God is for this 21st century. The same scriptures that applied in the first century are still just as real, just as true, and just as relevant for Christians today. Father, in this digital age, this age of the internet, where every false teacher has a, uh, a digital pulpit, if you will, God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment um, to recognize it when we hear it. But more than that, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice, whether it's in this room or whether it's through the podcast or whatever it be, that is not in a church, that is not a living, acting, breathing member of a local church. God, I pray this day you would convict them. I pray that you would somehow use these words to show how important the local church is to what you want to do, the protection that you've provided for your children. God, only you can make that real in their lives. I can't. These are just words, but you can do it through the Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for River of Life. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for our pastor, a man who for some 30 years has taught good doctrine, for 30 years had submitted to the authority of Scripture, for, for 30 years has preached the true gospel, and for 30 years has lived a moral and upright life in his own life, God verifying the credibility of what he preaches. Thank you for our pastor, for all of our pastors for all that work in this church and, and live and, and, and try everything in their power to uphold the credibility of Scripture. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you that right now at River of Life, we seeing lived out what you designed 2,000 years ago. Only you can do something like that. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.